Retro Futurist Culture Podcast. I am very excited today. We are going to be talking about a classic of the genre. And joining us for this discussion today is my very special friend, Duke. He is an awesome guy. He cracks me up and he is way <laughs> into this subject that we're getting into. And that is Ghost in the Shell. Duke, how are you doing? I am doing amazing, actually. Uh, I feel like this is the best way for uh, me to start my new year is by recording a podcast with you. I couldn't be more excited. Well, thanks, Duke, because uh, I'm really excited to have you on the show. And uh, this is one of my favorite stories to uh, talk about uh, with uh, Ghost in the Shell here. Ghost in the Shell was created originally by Masamune Shiro. That's his pen name. Um, it was a manga later adapted into an anime movie and that's going to be the brunt of our conversation today uh is talking about the anime that's the one that has a far more uh reach than anything else but we're going to talk about the whole idea of ghost in the shell and what it means to us and and what you may get out of it um duke when did you first see or read ghost in the shell so i actually first saw it and I figured that's probably the case with the majority of people. Um, in the early 2000s, uh, I would say probably actually around uh, 2003, 2004, I got a late start into anime um, for our age group. Uh, I was actually introduced by this guy I knew uh, off of some forums who lived over in Sweden, but was originally from Japan. And he'd start feeding me these little things. He's like, hey, try this out. Hey, try this out. Um, he was a huge fan of the Matrix. He actually bought like the glasses and the trench coat and stuff, which is important because he was the one who introduced me to Ghost in the Shell. Uh, he was like, hey, all right, you've watched something depressing like Neon Genesis Evangelion, which Evangelion, which yeah, yeah, he started me out with that one. That was what wow. I started with. Yeah, the only thing that could be more is if he would have started you with like Zeta Gundam. Here you go, <laughs> right? And wow. then he then he did Ghost of the Shell, and uh, I had never seen uh, actually an animated film really that was so mature and so serious and. Um, that was also my first experience with cyberpunk too. I, I didn't even get into like the William Gibson novels, which I love until after that point. So this was a total deep dive for me. Nice. That's awesome. And did you get to see it like uh, at that time period? Did you see it like on the DVD release? Would that have been the DVD release or did you watch yes. it like on a streaming? Was there any streaming services that early? Maybe not. Maybe not. I don't think streaming really took off to like, 2008. No. Yeah. No, it was a it was a DVD. Um, yeah. The old uh manga video DVD, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's the one I had for years. I had that one, the first release. Um I actually saw this in the theater when it first oh, wow. came out. because uh, uh I'm a little older than you and uh I got my anime journey started when I was like a wee little kid. And uh <laughs> I was already well aware of Masamune Shiro because I was a huge fan of both Black Magic and Appleseed and had read all of those manga and seen the various uh, OVAs. At the time, there was just the Black Magic M66 and the first uh, Appleseed OVA. And um, the Ghost in the Shell manga had come out and I had read the first book and I liked it. Uh, 
but when I saw the trailer for the movie, I was really excited because the movie looked a little more action packed than the manga. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you play to your strengths. I think the movie knew it had to be its own thing. Cause it, it veers a little bit from the story in the manga. Um, but uh, I saw the trailer and it played at one of the local art houses here and I went and saw it and I was floored. <laughs> and then as soon as it came out on VHS, I bought the VHS. And then later I got the DVD in like 2001 or 2002 when that came out. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely one of the most genre influencing films and i think it's credited as being one of the first anime to really break the u.s market whereas lots of people have seen this as their first anime because it's that unique action-packed amazingly well made like i had never seen an anime that showed realistic military equipment used that well like right, that yeah. clean like the way they show <laughs> yeah. the way they show her reload the fnp90 like smg submachine gun like did they need to go into all that detail no but it's cool as heck that they did because i i mean you ne- i've never seen anything like that in, a, in animation it was amazing looking yeah and even i mean i would like to say that even back then um and years afterwards a lot of films you know live action films didn't put that level of detail into the guns you know it's You'd see, you'd see bottomless uh, clips just firing constantly. Um, right. <laughs> There's a ton of detail as far as um, I think. I don't know if that's something that the director who did the the anime movie Mamoroshi did. Um, I know Shiro is is also known for being quite a firearms nut, but I, I think Oshi uh, was the one that did a lot of that and like the. The scene I love in the Ghost in the Shell movie. This is major spoilers, you guys. If you're listening to this and you haven't seen Ghost in the Shell, there's going to be spoilers. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the movie is on its on you know 25 year release, so uh, there's a new new uh, 4K Blu-ray 25th anniversary. I recommend you pick it up. I got it. It fixes the error in the Blu-ray that came out about five years ago with the sound for the English track and. Uh, so you should definitely get it. Um, anyway, the scene I'm talking about is when the guy is firing. It's like a some sort of futuristic or maybe overpowered Mac 11 where he's using some kind of heavy rounds. Yeah. And when he's firing it, he's kind of sliding back from the recoil of the gun. And uh, I just remember that scene blew me away. And the way that the, the ricochets hit the water. There's just a ton. The animation is is insane in this movie. It's It's very, very well done. Yeah, it, this was uh, also the beginning of my love affair with uh, the animation company Production IG, which has a lot of other uh, stellar titles to their uh, to their filmography. But yeah, I that's a scene that I love, um, and then of course the fight scene that happens between uh, the major and the same guy afterwards uh, it was just it blew my mind too. Uh, just how they how he thought about things like the thermoptic camouflage and stuff. It was like, oh, she's nude. But there's actually a reason behind it. Right. <laughs> um, in the manga, uh, Motoko is actually uh, a lot more sexualized. Uh, there's little things and then there's big things too. So um, in the anime, at the very beginning, uh, when Bato is talking with Motoko, 
and saying there's a lot of noise in her brain that uh, anime feature film says it must be a loose wire. In the manga, uh, he writes down that uh, she says, oh, it's probably that time of month. (laughs) So it really defines that. Um, You see her waking up in a spare um, dark room in the animated feature film, whereas in the manga, she wakes up in sort of an elegant room and she's got a couple other girls with her that she may or may not have been sleeping with. Um, And I think that direction with the anime film helped with bringing it to the Western audience because it gave it a lot more serious tone. Um, Yeah, I think it's that whole circle of influence, right? I feel like, so, I mean, Shiro has his own thing with the manga and then Mama Oroshi is kind of like, he reminds me of uh, Hideo Kojima, the game designer. He's very influenced by Western culture. Um, Like his other anime movies he's done. uh, You could tell he watches a lot of Hollywood films. I think there's been a couple of interviews where he talks about that he's influenced by that. And I think you're right. I think that he took, he's like, okay, let's take this, but if we're going to sell it to a world market, which we could let's, let's, tone down some of the goofiness and tone up some of the serious like sci-fi storytelling and they really did and and they really focused i think i feel like the that's i think that's why i like the movie a little bit more it really focuses on the theme of ghost in the shell and that theme being like what what makes something have a soul and if you have a soul can it inhibit a machine can you can you be alive if you're in a man-made device that's not right. human like can you still have a soul and uh that's that's the theme that's explored in both the manga and the movie but i feel like the movie does it in a really amazing way that between the visuals the music the action the acting um, you know, it really sucks you in. The manga is fun, but it's not as it's not as much of a sensory experience as the movie is. Right. The manga actually has a lot of punchlines uh, to the stories too, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is okay. Um, uh, but this allows you the the animated film allows you to really sink in and think about those things. You have these grand. Uh, moving animations where you're just listening to the music. Um, you're seeing th- this uh, great art um, going across and it allows you to absorb what's being talked about. Um, and it puts you in that mood to be receptive to it rather than introducing um, an interesting concept and then, you know, kind of, oh, this is a f- funny thing afterwards. So we're, we kind of forget about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I mean, uh, for those that have have never seen it, like the gist of the story is uh, Matoko is an investigator, and she's trailing this hacker called the Puppet Master, who hacks into uh, human cyborgs and um, basically hacks their life and. Uh, it causes her to question her own life because she's a cyborg herself. And, but there's also like an evolutionary aspect of that because what goes on in the story of the movie. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
because of her curiosity of this hacker, like finding out how is he doing this, she herself becomes she goes deeper down that rabbit hole of the machine, you know, yeah. and leaves um kind of leaves our, our world uh by the end of the movie after she tracks him down. Uh I think as much fun as she is, I think Bateau is probably my favorite character in the movie. Oh, no in doubt. Both the first and second movie, he's the more rational. Like I watched that and I'm like, that's totally me. Like he's the more like, <laughs> exactly. rational, strong headed, like, what are you doing? Like, no, that's not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. And I think also Bato is sort of the lens that the director wants us to see things through. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's particularly evident in the second movie, of course, because it's almost he's one of the main characters, too. But um, he's watching. We're kind of watching things with him present, watching the evolution of the major and then experiencing his reactions to that and having our own reactions along with him. Right. Yeah. Um speaking of that second movie that's another one i saw that in the theater and as soon as it came out on video i grabbed that and uh that's kind of divides the fan base a little bit it seems like you either love that second movie or you don't like it at all yeah i remember that too because i i wasn't lucky enough to see it in a theater i kind of saw it through other methods <clears throat> but um <laughs> And I remember talking about that with some some of the fan base, and one of the big things that came up was they were saying, "Oh, well, this is this is way too pretentious." He went too far into the philosophical realm. Um, having just watched it again uh, after many years, I think it really follows correctly on the path that the first movie established. Yeah, uh, agreed, a hundred percent. I. I loved it when it first came out. And every time I watch that second movie, it kind of blows my mind a little bit. And I have to sit down for like 10 minutes and just sit there going, whoa, like, like Keanu Reeves. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He does so many interesting things there. Uh, and it's, he takes a, like with the first movie, he's taking um, an actual condensed story. One of the, uh, one of the actual novels in the manga. Um, but he does a completely different twist on it. Uh, whereas in the manga, it's more of a normal cop crime sort of thing happening. But he turns it into yet another uh, discussion of what is the soul? So in the second movie, we're looking at, and again, of course, it's spoilers here, but instead of looking at humans and what defines humans in the soul we're looking at these robots and do they have a soul mm -hmm. um because of how they're acting and stuff so outside of the um the main theme this first like ghost in the show movie i feel like some of the stuff we saw in this in this anime and let's say i think that the you know the worldwide release was 1995 1994 japan i think like 95 the u.s how much tech from this movie has now hit the real world and like how much has that influenced tech in the real world i would say it's pretty high like a lot of the tech we saw in the movie is almost here now like the yeah. hacking is definitely almost at that level. I mean, nobody has the cybernetic 
uh, that one guy in the beginning that's like the um, he's like the reporter for the cops. You know, when he opens his hands, all those little cyborg fingers pop out, and he can type really fast. Which it cracks so me up because, like, at what point, like, it's cool that he can type that fast, but <laughs> wouldn't he just interface right with the machine? Like, oh yeah, <laughs> that's, that's one true. Of those, yeah, that's one of those things that that certain times with technology and movies certain times if you think logically you're like why wouldn't you just bypass that and go straight to the source but it makes for a more fun visual that whole tech and and maybe it's because it's an older piece of equipment that he can't directly interface i don't know but like the um the thermoptic camouflage now they have developed prototypes of that that were oh really wow yeah, the tank yeah, <laughs> uh, which is a minor thing in in the movie. It's a military device. In the manga, it takes on a life all of its own, and they're you know they that that part is very different, right? I think for the movie, they yeah. they took that and made it a very serious thing. But there is a lot of robotics now coming out where vehicles like that are are being tested. But I think like the whole the net, the internet, and the way we network and the way we can digitally um, connect with people, I think was hugely influenced by that movie. At the time that movie came out, the internet was, was a uh, 56k modem. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Most people didn't have broadband. Most people, I mean, there was no YouTube, there was no zoom, there was no uh, webcam. I mean, there were webcams. I think they were really slow. Like now that, none of that existed there were no iphones yeah um and that movie predicted a lot of that stuff correctly and that's i mean a lot of the japanese manga artists are very much into current tech i mean a lot of a lot of futuristic tech has come from japan so i think they they have a finger on that pulse and it's just neat to see all the things that have come to pass Uh, i feel like a lot of the the vr kind of things were definitely influenced by that for sure and of course we do i mean we do have some really early moves into uh cyborg implants i mean they have obviously kind of an immense hurdles to overcome but there are um implants that uh, have in some cases helped people who are blind to see yeah and objects mm-hmm. um or see it through sound, I think, is another one that I read about. This guy who had, I guess, was like kind of an antenna thing, and he can see based upon sound. Um, and then you have the limb ones, which seem to be easier, um, per se, because they're on the outside. Right, and that a lot of that is, seems like it's advancing due to 3D printing. Yeah. Because right? now they can, they can actually create something that matches the patient with a 3D printer, without having to go through molding and casting and all that what they used to have to go through to make um, right. that type of, of appendages. And it simplifies the process so much. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely, I've seen a lot of stuff where I've seen, um, you know, young, young, smart people out there with a 3d printer creating their own helping parts when they have disabilities. I saw a kid who had, uh, he was missing a hand and he built his own 3d printed hand that like works. Wow. <laughs> it's, that's, it's this whole thing that's snapped onto his arm and it it interfaces, you that's know, amazing. it moves because of the vibrations in his arm, the muscles moving, it reacts to that and, and works. It's pretty, it's pretty impressive. Wow. Gosh. So, yeah. 
we're 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 not far away from some more of the crazy tech in in this movie. And then, of course, we have uh, Elon Musk, who says that he's working on the jacking in of the brain process. So, <laughs> that's, uh, I don't want to be the first person that does it. That's probably going to feel really weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if not, just kill you or make you throw up everywhere. One of the two. I'm not sure. Yeah. I can wait for that. <laughs> they do a good job too of like showing like when she goes into something like it's not comfortable or it doesn't seem like it's it's not a smooth ride. It's got a a funkiness to it. Yeah. And I would expect that's how it how it's going to be. That's that's one of those things where mathematically i think we know what we need to do to do something like that right because the human body the nervous system it's electricity right yeah. and and we know the voltages everybody's a little different i'm sure they can figure out an algorithm that can match things to a point but at some point i feel like the universe is going to say all right you effers that's too much you have gone too far <laughs> Yeah, you're probably right. Then we'll be stuck in a time loop where I'm just going to reset and we're going to start over until we don't do that. Uh, That would would be a A real bummer. Yeah. So, you know, uh, what are your favorite scenes in the uh, anime movie? Um, I think it's hard to not mention the opening. Um, and I don't mean the digital uh, rain stuff, which the Wachowskis did, but I mean the whole uh, seeing the cyborg uh, body uh, slowly oh, the, be put yeah. together. That yeah. That is amazing. Even today, you know, with fully CGI everything, that level of artistry is intense to look at. And I get goosebumps watching it every time. Yeah, and this was all, I mean, this was pre- Pre the era of anime now, we're almost all computer generated. Actually, I think it is all computer generated. Even the 2D stuff is done on a computer. This was still done on traditional cells. Um, They use some computers to assist certain things. Mm -hmm. Um, But But I know, like, they did that. Was it the 10th or 15th anniversary? They did a they did do an updated version of this where they redid some of those effects with real like computer graphics and everybody hated it. And it's kind of been it's pretty much mothballed. You can buy it. You can still buy it, but uh nobody like that's the version that everybody's like, don't watch that version, it sucks. Like, is that the one is that the one that's called Ghost in the Shell 2.0? Yes. Or? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I watched it once and I was like there was nothing wrong with this. It was one of those ones where <laughs> like the idea I think sounded good on paper, but messing with it was, was not good. Yeah. Yeah. I saw some images of it. I was like, Ooh, okay. Well now I know avoid the 2.0 version. Yeah. Yes. 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 Definitely. That version is, um, I love the, there's so many scenes. There's a scene where the guy gets, he's been, hacked and he's talking about going to his family's apartment (laughs) and the guy's like what are you talking about he's like you don't have a family like that whole yeah bit is amazing yeah the scene where she's tracking him down in the thermoptic camouflage too that's one of the highlights yeah and then then she beats his ass very soundly um 
I also like, uh, it might be considered boring by some, but I, I liked the transition to where she's doing the deep diving um, in, in the ocean. It actually made me think, it still does today, and I echo Bato's words, it's like, really? You're going to go scuba diving as the fully cyborg body? Because you think about it, she probably weighs a couple tons. Right. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's her hobby, right? Right. <laughs> it's pretty risky if her uh, equipment goes out. She's definitely going to be at the bottom of that ocean. Hey, this is Charlie, Triple C, from Brevity Box, a new and interesting podcast from the Ruminations Radio Network. If you're a fan of podcasts, we have a lot of great content to offer. Come check out our diverse group of podcasts and hosts at ruminationsradionetwork.com. The end scene to, well, the ending battle is really brilliant. Um, Introducing a lot of stuff with the military that I hadn't thought about. Uh, The idea of the, I guess they're um, computer assisted snipers in in the helicopter right that and that's uh that's a thing that they actually have really not to that level but they have yeah they do have targeting that works kind of like that now that is which is crazy yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's another one of those things that like yeah at the time when they made that movie that's what i mean it was it was thinking really far ahead well how about you uh she well that part when she's taking on the tank and she's trying to open the tank and she basically breaks her own cyborg arms oh yeah to get that open um it's pretty it's pretty amazing and the amount of detail they put into like showing like that it's a cyborg design but it's very human looking like as in it's not just like it's not like the Terminator where it was like pistons and stuff. It's like yeah. sinewy type fibers that are fired under electric solenoids and stuff, and it's pretty pretty cool looking. And it uh, and it demonstrated too that uh, while she's a cyborg, while she's stronger than the average human, there's still there's still physical limits based upon just right. you know her body and stuff. Just just to look human, there's going to be a limitation. So she ends up breaking herself just trying to rip that because because of trying to remain and and look human. What what was the one thing that you missed? Because I think you've you're more familiar with the manga than I am. What's the one thing you miss from the manga that's not in the movie that you think may have fit or that you maybe just thought was cool and they should have just left it in? This is this is kind of hard for me to say because I actually prefer the movie. Um. <laughs> yeah, so do I. So, <laughs> um, and I've only, I've only read the first manga volume. I think there's I don't remember how many there are, but I've only read the first one, and and I liked it. I just I liked the movie. I've I've watched the movie twenty plus times, easy. <laughs> and, and the funny thing is, too, to me, um, is that uh, oh gosh, and I forget his name, but the uh, person responsible for the following anime series, Standalone Complex said that he viewed uh, the movie and uh, Meshimoro as more of a mentor. So he followed his animation designs rather than, oh, than the manga. SAC. Well, I think the, the one thing the manga lends uh, that, of course, the movie can't really add uh, just because it's a movie is um, Shiro goes actually into a lot of depth with his notes about some of the things uh, that he's talking about. He has uh, side notes, for instance. He has this one panel where he's showing 
uh, cyborg body uh, completely um, disassembled. It has the medics or whatever around it. And he talks about how, um, you know, this is this is 95 percent cyborg uh, cyberization. However, it's probable that we won't actually get to that level because, you know, it'll be hard to match the androcanin and or, or all of the hormone systems and stuff. But that it was from that that he sprung board into the discussion that the movie goes into about what exactly is a ghost, because so much of it is um, is cyborg. You just have the the brain matter and maybe not even the full brain matter. Um, so he's extremely thoughtful uh, in his approach to things, um, which I appreciated. Uh, I think the the anime TV series has it. I don't really know if you could fit it into the movies, but you have the touchy comas. Um, yeah, the the little those AI the, tanks. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. The movie just took them and did the militarized version of them. Um, right. The I, I remember in the manga and SAC, they're 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 kind of half comedic relief and half necessary to the story <laughs> with the <Yeah>. antics. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's really hard for me to say. I mean, I don't want to downplay the manga at all i think you should read them uh, because it it enhances uh, the viewing of the movie he even talks about um the so in the opening you see the cyborg rising through this liquid um that then turns into the skin and he actually explains his thought process behind that and i, I can't remember it off the top now but it's really cool he's uh he's definitely a cyberpunk guy I mean, that's. I think that's pretty much most of the manga that he's written is cyberpunk. Shiro, yeah, I don't. I don't think anything he's done is even remotely not cyberpunk. <laughs> 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 um, I've read, like, I read his Black Magic that was translated here. Uh, that was like his first kind of big work. Um, well, you know what might not be is. Um, Orion. Orion is more fantasy, which is oh. uh, which is like a total detour for him. Okay. Out of the ones I've read. Um that one definitely. And I have his art book. I have Intron Depot one and two. But yeah, his other ones like uh Appleseed, that's that one we could do a whole nother episode on that. The manga, the original OVA, the CG movies that uh, John Wu helped work on. Those are all really cool. I mean, yeah, Shiro. And I, I think Shiro is obsessed with technology and cybernetic, like mechanical implants yes. and stuff. So you see, I mean, his, <laughs> the amount of detail he draws in those, in those. Oh my goodness. Crazy. Yeah. It's, it's funny to me, actually, now that you mentioned that, because um, the one thing, that I, if I were to rate it side by side, that I prefer over the other in terms of the art style is I, I dramatically prefer um, the way that the characters are drawn in the animated feature film versus the manga. But my goodness, when you get to the tech stuff and his drawing of that, it is so incredibly detailed. I mean, it's like if there was an anatomy and physiology book of cybernetics, it would be his drawings. That <laughs> would... Yeah, he's uh, he's something else, and then probably you could pinpoint he would be probably one of the pillars, godfathers of cyberpunk cyborg design. 
he'd probably be up there along with the original Terminator design. Yeah. Kenichi Sonata's work on Bubblegum Crisis. There's a few. He would he would definitely definitely be up there, I think, as far as one of the godfathers of influence on this genre. But outside of that, this anime manga, Ghost in the Shell itself, influenced a ton of other works. Um, we already brought up The Matrix, but uh, I know that the Wachowskis were very influenced by anime. When you watch... I recently rewatched the first Matrix movie, and I, at the time I saw it, I don't think I realized how much they borrowed from Ghost in the Shell, but they they borrowed a lot. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it has a lot of the feel, a lot of the um, and it feels like a live action. Now watching it again now through a different lens, it feels like a live action adaptation of a Japanese manga or or a, a Japanese TV show where they had to truncate the story down. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I guess they when they were pitching it, right? They said they they showed them Ghost in the Shell and said we want to do that yeah. live action, and that, and you totally see that now. Who else? Who else uh, was highly influenced by Ghost in the Shell? Uh, James Cameron, of course. Uh, he said that it's the first truly adult animation film to reach a level of literacy and visual excellence. Avatar, of course, would be the one that's a standout there. If you think about it, Avatar is um, like taking the technology of Ghost in the Shell and then flipping it around and saying, what if all of this was biological? Um, right. You know, the jacking into bodies, the merging of, um, of the soul or the ghost. Uh, I think it's actually a really interesting approach. You can see it in video games too. The one that's really obvious to me, but probably a lot of people have not played it, was uh, there was this video game that Bungie made called Oni, um, where if you were to look at the comics that they had as a side to it and then look at the game, they'd be like, oh yeah, that's totally it. Mm-hmm. You have this. Yeah. <laughs> I, when I came out, I was like, hey, that chick looks a lot like Matoko from <laughs> yeah, the show. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's before, that was right before Bungie got bought by microsoft and made halo i think their only other game out at the time was their um, rts game well they had the marathon um but that marathon was... and durando no but they had uh what was their rts game they they came out with their rts game um right before that oni game came out i'm pretty sure yeah i can't remember it either myth oh yeah myth yeah. had just come out and then oni i this all this happened while i was working at a um used bookstore slash video game store so i remember all of this stuff and we used to play around with it all the time yeah yeah (laughs) anybody that was working in tech in the 90s that saw ghost in the shell read the manga maybe even apple seed you'll see those influences (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh i mean it's 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 difficult not to see those influences right um i know you put in the notes here that uh for cyberpunk 2077 that they acknowledged it as an influence and there are several examples and parallels for sure the art the art design i mean you can't i think if you i don't want to say the peak of the cyberpunk genre was the late 80s early 90s but i feel like the golden age of it was and that's like kind of the influence that we're seeing on stuff now yeah maybe the golden age might have been or the golden age might have been actually like blade runner era but you know that influence the the era in the late 80s early 90s which is now influencing current cyberpunk retro future style design and and one of the 
the key things is, is like I said earlier with the technology, some of it makes sense and some of it doesn't make sense. Like they still have CRT monitors, Mm -hmm. but they have laser computer targeting guns that can pick targets around corners. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They have bionic limbs, but they still have VHS tapes. They have. (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, that whole, uh, Retro futurism is, is really interesting. I, I don't want to spoil too much about Cyberpunk 2077, but also if if you watch the Ghost in the Shell movie um, and then you play through enough of the Cyberpunk, I think you'll see that there is a definite matching theme between what's happening to your main character in right. Cyberpunk. Yeah, I, I picked that up pretty. I'm not done with the game yet, but yeah. I, I yeah, and the major, yeah, which is pretty cool. And, and there's some older uh, games too, like the... This X series, uh, I like to draw a parallel between J.C. Denton because he, like Matoko, was a sort of, he's a special operative in the government working on a global conspiracy, corporate stuff. I mean, you could say some of these are general cyberpunk tropes, but there is a win condition in the original game where you can choose to merge Denton with uh, the AI. That's Yeah, and that I, I feel like that, I, I wouldn't say that maybe... That was original to Ghost in the Shell. I would say they probably are the most popular story that has kind of done that idea. True. But yeah, it does seem like that idea of a of a human who's become a cyborg's soul merging with another AI or mainframe. I mean, it even has gone as far as the Marvel verse with the uh, the Avengers movies with uh, Vision. Yeah. So it's yeah, that's a real interesting thing and. I don't know if that's akin to like a God complex. <laughs> I'm not sure when we get to the, I'm going to have you on probably, I'm probably going to ask you to come on again when we get to armor trooper votums. Cause I'm going to, Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <Speaking> <laughs> of God complex. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the visual inspiration definitely, I think has probably, the thing you see, I would put Ghost in the, again, like I was saying with Shiro, Ghost in the Shell is probably in that top 10 visual, if not top five inspiration for all cyberpunk stuff, right? Yeah. Like the granddaddy, the granddaddy's Blade Runner, the original movie, I think Ghost in the Shell is probably in that, in that first tier of highly influential cyberpunk stuff. It's just visually, it's still impressive. I think that's why people are still talking about it today. That's why they're still... They just did a new, I mean, they still have the standalone complex series that ran for how many seasons? Uh, two, but there were long Quite seasons. A, was it only two well, seasons? No, it was two series. I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. There was also the, there's the new Ghost in the Shell movie, which is, I think that ties up the rest of the standalone complex series. Yeah. I actually did not know that. Well, probably because they've never been translated. There were OVAs, The Laughing Man, Individual Eleven. Did we get those here? Yeah, it says we did. I don't know if I saw those ones. I didn't see those. Yeah, I remember Solid State Society. I loved that. There was a separate manga not done by Shiro that we've never got. Oh, yeah, the Rise um, series, which came after. Yeah, and then there was... I played the PlayStation 2 game when that came out back in the day. That was pretty fun. So it's still something that people are interested in now. And I, I don't think 
interest in Ghost in the Shell or its theme will be lost on society anytime soon. I feel like it's one of those things that's going to live on because of the theme, the creativeness of it, the art design. Uh, but really, I think the strong theme of Ghost in the Shell is what keeps it so interesting. Yeah, it's become timeless. I mean, we're talking about a movie that even impressed... Um, feel like I'm going to say his name wrong. Roger Ebert, uh, the late critic. That's right. Yeah. And he was, he was, he was picky with things. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Very, very picky. Uh, never, never accepted video games as an art form. Either. Yeah. He, I remember that. I remember he constantly berated video games. I don't know. I think now he would have to see that games have gone past what he, yeah. Um, no I mean, especially like something like cyberpunk that there are times where I got sucked into cyberpunk and then I just, I had to stop because I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I gotta get out of this world for a little while. I need to see some sunshine. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me, it was uh, okay. Well, it's now 4am. I should probably go to bed. Right. That's what I mean. You're like, Oh boy, man. Duke. This has been a pleasure, sir. We need to do this again. Thank you for talking with me about one of the greatest influential Japanese anime, manga, movies, series. Multiple creators have all been involved. But give credit where credit's due, and that's mostly to Masamune Shiro and Mamoru Oshii for his movie. If you haven't yet, go out and grab the 25th anniversary 4K DVD. It even comes with a digital code. It's really good. It has a great behind the scenes. They talk about some great stuff. The picture quality is amazing. It's still just a phenomenal film that if you don't own it, you should own it. If you're interested in retro futurism, cyberpunk at all, and you haven't seen it, I'm sorry we spoiled the whole thing. You need to watch it anyway. <laughs> yes. You'll probably watch it again right afterwards. I, um, what is your take, Duke, on the English dub uh, and the Japanese dubs? Ooh, well... I don't want to, we're, we're just tying things off and now, now you've opened a can of worms for me. So I'll try to summarize this. Um, I prefer the Japanese dub for Motoko um, in the first film, but I think they had the same voice actress for Motoko in the second film, as well as in the anime series um, for the English dub, but I could be wrong. I just know that I like the one who's in the second film and then the, uh, the animated series better, but Bato. English, awesome. Dude, that's because it's Richard Epcar. He's the best. You know who else he does? He's freaking Joseph Joestar, dude. Oh, my God. <laughs> in Stardust wow. Crusaders. Not okay. in, uh, not in, uh, not in uh, JoJo Part 2, but in JoJo Part 3 and Part 4, it's Richard Epcar. <laughs> oh, my God. God, he was also uh, he was also Ben Dixon in Robotech. I mean, he that guy's been dubbing anime forever, <laughs> like forever. I met wow. him at San Diego Comic Con way back in the day. Super cool guy. Um, but yeah, I I actually loved the because I, I saw the English dub first at theater, and don't get me wrong, I I like the Japanese version too, the Japanese dub with the subtitles. But if I can watch something with an English dub and it's not distracting. Like it's a well-made dub and I don't have to read subtitles. I'll take it live action. It's a little different because you can't, you just can't match the mouth movements convincingly live action, right? Like yeah, if you did true. an English dub of seven samurai, I think pretty sure people would stab you. Um, <laughs> but with anime, 
you can make it work and you can make it work really well. And I feel like the, the English dub for both Ghost in the Shell 1 and 2 are great. And I actually had to buy Ghost in the Shell 2 Blu-ray from the UK. Now you can get it here, but this is this was like five years ago. You could not get the English dub of Ghost in the Shell 2 in the States. You could only get it via the UK uh, on DVD or Blu-ray. And of course, a UK Blue or DVD doesn't work here yeah but the blu-rays do so uh i had a friend who was over in england and i had him look for it and he found it and mailed it to me uh, but now you can buy it here in the states so but anyway, <laughs> cool yeah i just that's something i forgot to bring up and uh i really think the english voice cast is is really good um for both movies and i think richard epcar does bateau on both of them uh, but also the, i mean usually it's a no-brainer the japanese cast is always good it's rare that the English cast is as good or better. My one well, especially example back of, then. Right. My one example of a better cast I always bring up is I feel like the English cast for Cowboy Bebop is better than the oh Japanese cast. Yeah. I will probably get stabbed by some crazy fanboys, but um Well, I'll get stabbed too, because I'm right alongside you on there. Yeah, but I feel like Ghost in the Shell, the English dub is is as good as the Japanese dub. I won't say it's better, but I feel like it's as good. And if you want to watch yeah. it and just look at the visuals, which is what you're going to want to do anyway, watch the English dub. Then maybe the second time, watch the Japanese dub so you can catch some of the nuances of the Japanese voice actors because they do have a a style of acting that's more probably rooted more in Japanese theater. You know? Yeah, it's true. It's good stuff. Yeah. All right. Now that we're done getting all serious about dubs versus subs, the <laughs> oldest argument on the internet. Yes. yes. <laughs> all right, Duke. Let's sign this off by who's your favorite character in Ghost in the Show? It's Bato. Bato. It, yeah, I, yeah, I think I'm going to have to agree with that. He's he's just so much fun. And then, you know, Richard Epcar voicing him for the English dubs is, is a win-win. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Duke. Let's roll on out of here. Everybody, check out Ghost in the Shell. Duke, uh, I don't know if you got anything up on the web for people to come check you out. No, I Not did. Currently. Not all currently. Right. It's in as the works. As soon as you get a project going, you let me know. Um, all right. Well, this has been the Retro Futurist Podcast. My name is Optimus. I want to thank Duke for coming on the show. I want to thank the Ruminations Radio Network for hosting us. Make sure and check out all the other shows on the Ruminations Radio Network. And thanks for helping me start this new year with a great episode, Duke. Well, thanks for having me, Hop. All right. Well, we'll talk to you soon. Out. been scared watching horror movies by yourself well now you don't have to hang out with ruminations of red rum all things horror from movies to the latest spooky games we've played come hang out but hurry the killer's behind you <laughs>